Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Steve Webster. Steve, welcome. Hello, nice to meet you. Well, it's a huge pleasure and I would like to say thank you very much to Dr. Linda Shaw for the introduction. Yeah, she's um, a great trustee of ours at FND Dimensions and uh, she very much pushed me forward for this, saying I need to get myself out there more. So here I am. Fabulous. And I wonder what it is that she is advocating you get out there more about. Tell me a bit more about what it is you do. I suppose it's the my story and my job and what I do and the organisation I work for, uh, which is a charity called FND Dimensions. FND stands for Functional Neurological Disorder, bit of a mouthful. And I'm the founder and CEO of the charity. I started doing FND support work over 10 years ago now. And uh, FND Dimensions had a, a, a couple of sort of alter egos beforehand. Uh, we were a voluntary organization, then became a charity in 2016. And uh, we're growing all the time. And uh, so, yeah, I've spent the last sort of 10 and a half years plus doing FND support, which has le led me down various paths. But it's essentially about peer support for people diagnosed with a condition. And what's your personal connection with this, Steve? OK, that I have to go back a bit further and I'll make it as brief as I can. Um, basically, I've suffered with a bad back for years. Uh, back in 2003, I, I had a, an MRI scan, MRI scan done on my back and discovered, discovered I got a bulging disc. But at the time, it wasn't too bad. But six months later, it completely went and ended up in hospital and needed a, a what's called a laminectomy, which is where they snipped a bit of the disc off that's bulging into the spinal cord. Um, but following the surgery, which was successful, nothing wrong with the surgery at all. Um, I started to get symptoms where my body would go into under uncontrollable spasms. And after being readmitted three times into the orthopedic uh, ward, um, uh, the, the doctor I was seeing threw his hands up in the air and said, I don't know what's going on with you. I'm going to send you to see a neurologist. And at that time, that's back now with, into 2004. And the neurologist I saw diagnosed a condition called proprio-spinal myoclonus, which is another mouthful for a medical condition, as they usually are. And effectively, that meant I'd kind of like got an overactive spinal cord. And I was in and out of hospital. And then in 2006, it went really pear-shaped. And I had an episode which lasted 14 and a half hours nonstop of my body effectively trying to fold itself in half at a rate of knots 
and I had no control over it whatsoever. And on May the 6th, um, no, May the 7th, sorry, 2006, I ended up in back in hospital and I was on the neuro ward for three months. And I would say that probably was the start of what was the, a period which I suppose changed my life. And the direction I'd had previously was completely different. But I, I came out of that and then needed more treatment. And over the next few years, I was in and out of hospital. Um, joked with the bed manager. She was going to put uh, my name plaque above one of the beds because I was in and out so much. Um, why they basically tried to get on top of my condition, which in the end they did through uh, having tried lots of medication and pill popping to the point I rattled. I ended up with what's called a baclofen pump being fitted, which is an implant that feeds the drug baclofen to my spinal cord 24-7. But during my time in hospital and subsequently uh, going for physio and things, I obviously met quite a few people, other patients, etc., people who were going through different sorts of things, a lot worse conditions than, my, than mine. And a lot of them were very, people were very isolated and felt they got no one to turn to. And um, the career that I had built up, which was in the environmental sector, I'd spent 16 years in that, kind of went out the window. Uh, I couldn't go back to that doing what I used to do. Um, it was just too much. And so I was found myself at a loose end, really, as much as anything. But I, I realized that when I was going for physio sessions or whatever, people seemed quite willing to talk to me. And so I think because of the experience I'd had, the, particularly in that 2006-2012 period, over the six-year period of going in and out of hospital, of which about that six-year period I spent the equivalent of about a year in hospital, obviously uh, I had a lot of experiences and witnessed a lot uh, not all of it nice, obviously, uh, heard a lot, um, you know, the blue curtains, they pull you, that pull around, they pull around your bed, do not a sound barrier make. And you hear, you try not to listen, but you obviously hear stories, doctors talking to other patients and things. And, um, so yeah, so it set me off on a new direction really. And, um, I, I say, as a fan, people were seemed willing to talk to me, and they were always seemed to be very isolated. So I um, spoke to the physio I was seeing at the time and said, "Look, I said this is crazy. These people have got no one to turn to. The only outing, the only time they're coming out of the house is to come to this physio session once a week, and then they're isolated. Um, can we not do something about it? You know?" And she said, "What?" And I said, "Well." They seem quite happy to talk to me. If if you're happy for me to carry on that, can we set up something more informally where you let patients know I'm there to talk to if they want to, which we did uh, in conjunction with their managers, as long as it took place on the hospital grounds, which I was at, the community hospital. And I suppose things stem from there, really. And um, uh, it, it, that support I was giving just seemed to grow and then I had ideas for how it could get bigger. 
I'd been put into contact with a couple of other people who wanted to do similar sorts of things elsewhere in the country. And it sort of snowballed from there, really. Initially, what happened was um, I was put in touch with a lady down in Essex. I'm based up in Derbyshire. And um, at the time, she wasn't able to commit to doing anything, but wanted to come back to me a few months later to, to get involved. And in the meantime, I started to uh, pull together a group locally uh, where patients who with, in particular, got functional neurological disorder, which I'll explain a bit about more in a moment, what it is, uh, started to come together. And um, we had a little group to start with. And then there was a, another group that was running in Nottingham and uh, I linked in with that. And then the lady in Essex came back to me and she started to do a little group locally. And then we kind of um, started to get word of mouth out about what we were doing and the support that we were offering, which is just peer support and giving people somewhere to talk in a safe space where they didn't have to explain their symptoms. The people they were talking to understood, they got it, which is, which is quite a big thing, particularly with something like FND. And um, we just grew and grew from there, really. And we started off with, I say, two or three groups. And then by 2016, we'd gone up to about eight or nine. Um, and we now have over 60 groups across the country uh, that operate at various levels. Some groups are quieter than others, which is inevitable. But our membership is going up all the time. Uh, we're developing new projects and programs all the time, taking on a raft of new volunteers at the moment. And the charity is really going from strength to strength, really. Um, so my role within that is evolving. And um, so I'm having to get my head around that at the moment. So, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's just been a sort of natural progression, really, of things. It's something I never expected to be doing, wasn't part of my big plan my grand scheme of things but then that's life isn't it you know we get unexpected things happen it, it can happen to anybody any day and it's just how we adapt and change to be able to carry on living our lives the best we can i suppose and for me people are what life is all about you know we're, we're all capable of being there for somebody at some point in some time and I suppose I just made myself a bit more available than, than some other people do uh, through the nature of the work. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought there might have been a personal connection, but yes, I mean, it, it seemed to make sense because of the the involvement in a charity it tends to be because there's a, a personal reason for it. And uh, and as you said, it it's it's been a an incredible journey that you've been in on personally and physically and just changing it from a voluntary organization to a charity must have been a huge effort as well yeah it's, although to be honest it didn't it didn't seem it at the time it just i mean yeah okay we had the paperwork to get done etc and uh and obviously to get that approved by the charity commission uh but they were very supportive and we, and we came up with a whole raft of things that we thought we'd need to have covered and we wanted to have done as part of what the organisation would do. And um, then we got back, wrote, written, 
we sent that off to the Charity Commission and they wrote back saying, there's far too much there, it needs to be simpler, cut it down to two sentences. And it's like, oh, all this work. And it's like, <laughs> but it, but it, it was because it was a natural progression from what we've been doing, it didn't feel difficult. Um, and it just felt the right thing to do and it was the right time to do it. Yeah, here we are sort of um, almost seven years later. We're, we're seven years old on uh, December the 6th as a charity. And I say it's going from strength to strength. Tell me, you mentioned, Steve, that the membership is growing and that you've got 60 groups. Is that because the awareness of the FND itself is becoming more prevalent or is it that the group is is making themselves aware to people who that, that you're around um it's probably a mixture of both fnd is a difficult subject when it comes to support and um or health support uh, within the, the the health systems at such nhs there are pockets of support out there but it's very patchy and people find themselves on long waiting lists and because of the nature of FND, there are arguments within medicine about whether it's a neurological condition or a psychological condition. And patients are often batted back and forth between those two services and not sticking anywhere. Or quite often they see somebody and they're given a website to go to and look at and told to go away and get on with it. It, there just aren't the services available for FND patients, and it's it's not a cheap thing to 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 treat because it requires a multidisciplinary approach. It's neurology, it's neuropsychology, it's neurophysiotherapy, it's pain management, it's occupational therapy. Um, there's a whole raft, and because of the nature of the condition, there often people have a lot of comorbidities with it which complicates it even further. Um, I haven't said what FND actually is. In short, it's where it's messages from the brain are either sent or received incorrectly uh, by the body. And it results in a whole host of physical and sensory disabling factors, uh, seizures, functional seizures, uh, involuntary movement and spasms, mobility issues, sensory issues of all sorts people lose their speech uh their sight can deteriorate fatigue is a massive part of it uh, as a consequence of all that um isolation people often uh lose their jobs because of it you know they can't work anymore uh family life can become very difficult because suddenly you know one day they're well and 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 it can be very quick onset and so one day they can be well, next day they wake up and suddenly they can't move their left leg or something like that. And so uh, they go from being a parent to need to being cared for, um, not being able to look after their children in the same way, have a different relationship with their partners and the rest of the family. And the whole reason that FND comes about is there's, there's a whole host of reasons, really. It can be down to brain injury. Um, which obviously then that creates a structural damage in the brain, which FND generally doesn't have. It's not a structural problem as say it's just a connectivity issue. It's often likened to like a software issue on a computer. Like it's just you know, it's, it crash, the system is crashing and needs, re, needs to reboot. 
so yeah there's if but there are brain injuries obviously which cause the same issues um surgery can cause issues as was similar with myself viral conditions can also um cause those issues uh viral infections and um the other side of it is the psychological side uh people who have suffered psychological trauma and then that manifests itself in physical um symptoms but that doesn't take any way, anything away from those the fact that those symptoms are happening those symptoms still need treating and i say unfortunately with the way that fnd services are although we're very lucky in the uk because we have some of the leading fnd doctors in the whole world in this country you know we, we are really lucky but even so the the, the services are limited and um, it makes it very difficult. And as I say, patients are often less isolated, which is when they turn to organisations like FND Dimensions, because we offer that peer support, we offer that safe space. And we do that through a whole range of activities, through um, physical meetups where we get people together um, at an agreed location. We do a lot of online things, as, as most organisations have had to do since COVID. And unfortunately, we were just about to go online with a lot of activity before COVID hit. So we just got all that set up, ready to run. So when COVID did hit, we were already on the ground running. Uh, and that's maintained. And because a lot of our members find it difficult to get out and about, having the online stuff is brilliant because it just enables them to make those connections. And we have people come onto a call and they've never met anybody with FND before or spoken to anybody with FND. They think they're the only ones out there because it's not, it is becoming more known. There is more awareness about it, but it still has a long way to go. It's, it's probably 20, 25 years behind on things like awareness, research and support. When you look at things like MS, Parkinson's stroke example, you know, so it's got a long way to go. And so people come on and often we've had people, they join the meeting and the first thing they do is burst into tears because they can't believe they're meeting other people with the same condition. And as I said earlier, they just don't have to explain themselves. You know, we have people on calls who go into a seizure and they'll just, you know, fade out and we carry on as if it's nothing's happened. We carry on chatting, whatever. And sometimes they come back in Sometimes they have to leave a call or a partner will come in and, and, and close, you know, they'll, they'll go off the call or whatever. If they come to a meetup with a, a carer or a, a, a whoever it is, maybe a paid carer, maybe a family member, a friend. Uh, similarly, the same things sort of happen. And the, and the thing is, is just not to panic. Make sure they're safe. Make sure they're comfortable. Make sure they're protected. And we just carry on. And for them to have that security and for that knowledge that they're not going to get judged by the people around them is massive. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I say it's something where now we're, we're, it's growing more and more with, with what we're wanting to provide. Um, we also do quite a lot of one-to-one -one support uh, for people who need that extra bit of help. Um, often newly diagnosed or just going through a really rough patch with the condition or advice on particular issues. And so we're not, um, we don't offer medical advice or medical treatment. You know, that's a big disclaimer. You know, we, we're none of us are medically trained. It's run all by volunteers. 
um, the last 10 and a half years plus um, has been mainly as a volunteer for me. I'm, I'm now paid a little bit by the charity, but it works out that it's sort of less less than sort of a um, a lot less than sort of a, a minimum wage, but that's kind of not the important thing. The, the I mean, yes, money is a factor for everybody, uh, particularly in these times at the moment of uh but the the way that the charity is moving forward and the the amount of people we're supporting, that's the key thing. And we are we are getting, you know, we're we're trying to raise more money, etc. We we want to have people in paid positions, uh, including myself, which should be nice. <laughs> um but it's that's the kind of secondary element of it really it's it's not the driving force and you know we survive pretty much on next to nothing really uh we've we've, we've got we have money in the bank account and we make sure we keep uh, enough money in the bank account to have us as, as, as to be seen as a viable organization for when we're going for grants and things but because fnd isn't well known and doesn't pull at the heartstrings in the way it's same way as some other charities or whatever, or isn't like one of the big known charities, sort of the cancers, research and all those sort of things. It means it's very difficult for us to attract funding. So we do what we can to raise funding, et cetera, but it's not the be all and end all. Uh, and, the, and the primary focus is, is the members and making sure they're supported. And I wanted to pick up on that point, Steve, about the pulling on the heartstrings. Because clearly this is something that you're very passionate about and it means a huge amount to you because of the your experiences, but also recognizing the importance of a safe space and peer support and giving that opportunity to people so that they feel heard and seen with the condition because they, they felt very isolated before. How does the the purpose piece fold into your work? Uh can you explain that a bit more, please? When you say the purpose, please. Yeah, just, uh, just as in, do you believe this that it is your purpose? This is this is your uh, your focus on why. Sorry, sorry. Of... yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. I do. Um, as I said earlier, for me, people are what life's about. You know, humans are a pack, and you know we're pack animals. And if you lose that, and okay, some people don't want that that kind of you know relationships essentially they want they're, they're happy to shut themselves away that's fine but most people you know they need that connection with others um whether it's um physical connection or whether it's uh an emotional one or um uh, connecting through something like fnd dimensions where they're meeting people who are in a similar position that they want to know that they're not alone and i think really throughout my life my my work whatever i've done has always been community based i've done a lot of youth work in the past community work uh when i was doing the environmental stuff in the past that's what all my work was focused on then developing community projects etc and and even from a young age um my mum worked at a nursery and I'd go in after school and I'd help out with the kids that were there you know I'd read stories to them and things like that so it's I've always had roles where I've got involved with people through my teens. I volunteered at a local school when I was doing my A-levels and things like that. 
Um, sport used to be a very big part of my life. I was into all sorts of sport. That's now not possible because the physical limitations I have on, on my body. Um, but I had some fantastic experiences through sport, um, supporting people. One in particular, just, just probably a bit of an aside, but just one thing that I, I always think that, that always comes to mind about things that have happened and that things that I think help form us as people and, and our ideas and um it was that when i was doing my a levels i also did a, a community sports leader award and as to as as part of that the, the 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 kind of end of it was to help run an event and it happened to be an event um in leicester where i was where i was born uh, and we went to school and the event was for people with um um mainly down syndrome uh, or, there are, or other learning difficulties. And it was a regional East Midlands athletics competition. And I was on the, I was helping out on the races, the, you know, catching the first, second, third person who came across the line, making sure they got lined up and got their medal, et cetera. But right near to where the finish line was, there was a gentleman with Down syndrome. And um, he, he wasn't racing. He was, in a suit, um, he was obviously a bit older, and every time people crossed the line, he would scream and cry and get was getting upset. He wasn't happy; he was upset. And so, when it got to lunchtime, and because I'd, I'd seen this happen all morning, I went over to the, the leaders, the workers that were there, and I said, "I said, um, is he taking part?" And they said, "Oh no, he can't take part." I said, well, he just seems to be getting very upset. And I, I, I suppose it was a bit, I felt a bit sort of awkward asking them. But at the same time, I just, having seen him all morning get upset, it was just like, oh, I can't leave this. So the, I said, well, what about if I just walk him around the track while everyone else is having lunch? And they said, well, yeah, if you don't mind, that'd be lovely. He'd, he'd love it. And so they introduced me to him and I mean, he just was beaming absolutely over the moon at the thought of doing this. And we got onto the track and the stadium where everyone was sitting is just on one side of it along the hundred meters straight. Uh, he came onto the track and he grabbed my hand and he grabbed my shirt at the same time and lifted it into the air. So my shirt was all up in the air. I was at all angles and he started to jog. And he's wearing a suit, three-piece suit, tie, and we jogged around the whole track. And as we came to where the, the start, like starting line would be for a 100-meter race, that's where the, 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 stage, the, the, the seating was. And um, as we ran down that section of it, obviously, they were having their lunch. They started to cheer and clap him. And for me, it was me now. It was just absolutely just such a fantastic moment. And it just made his day. And it just, you know, for, for me, it was just wonderful. You know, and I thought that's what sport's all about. You know, that's what it should be about. And uh, so I think, yeah, from things like that. And then after that, I did um, a training course to work on a children's holiday project for children who were disadvantaged in Leicester. And um, I was I was really 
when I was younger, I was actually quite shy. And I used to, I was, I sort of, I didn't really put myself out there much. And when I did, I was in, I was, I quite liked amateur dramatics. And I kind of hid behind characters I played in. I was in a couple of drama groups and I kind of hid behind the characters I played. And I hid, my, hid myself. Otherwise, I was very quiet and sort of out of the way. Um, and I did a, this training course. And at the start of the week, it was a week-long training course. And I was very quiet and didn't say anything. Um, but as the week went on, this course just brought me out of my shell. And by the end of it, I was just really involved, really engaging with people. And again, I, I and I think back you know, about things I've done and what's made me the person I am today and why I think people are so important. Um, that's another thing I look back on and that training course. And I remember so much from it. There was a, a whole range of songs that we were taught, et cetera, and games to do with to, that we would use on the on the holidays that we did with the kids. And I know all the songs still in my head. The fact that it was 30 plus years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've just worked with people ever since. And yeah, so people are my why. Yeah, I mean, naturally what the, what i'm hearing you share with me is that you just have this ability this superpower to know what people need and you step in and deliver that um i don't know if you call it a superpower but i think it's just listening to people being there you know and i say we we all have that ability you know we can all make such a difference you know there's so much focus these days on kind of stuff and you know, oh, you've got to have this car or the big house, etc. But at the end of the day, it means very little. And it's interesting. I think programs like on TV, if you watch, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention BBC programs at all, but things like the repair shop. If you watch that and the kind of human side of that, and the things that people bring in are about connections to other people or the past, their grandparents, their parents, their brother, their sister, someone who's been in their life, who's maybe passed away or been ill or whatever. And they're very, the items, they're not sort of, you know, often big trendy things or whatever. They're, they're sentimental objects and having that, it's all about connection again. And things like that just show how, most of the other stuff we've got is just pretty pointless, really. You know, it's just there. Okay, it might help out with bits and bits and bobs or whatever, but it's it is just stuff. And it's those those personal connections, whether it's through something physical or whether it's a, a personal connection through the sort of stuff that we do with dimensions, where we we help people feel like they belong somewhere and we take away that isolation. And we give those connections, then that's that's what it's all about. And uh, yeah, I suppose that is what I'm about. Yeah, and that's what the title of this episode will be. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. it, it always comes from a pivotal moment that the guest shares, and and for me, that is not so much pivotal, but you know, prominent something that's really wrapped up in everything that you've just shared. It, in in a couple of words, for me, personal connections really hits the mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've probably waffled on, but it's just I don't know. It just it's, you know, it's I say um, I'm in a position at the moment where because the charity is growing, 
we're in the process at the moment of taking on quite a, new, a lot of new volunteers. We've had a, a whole raft of people sort of come forward recently following some um, promotion we did saying, you know, are there any people in the, the group that want to volunteer? You know, we've got going on 1,900 members now and we've had quite a few come forward. So we've, we've been interviewing this week and more interviews next week. Well, they're not interviews, they're more informal chats. Uh, because we want to give anybody who comes forward an opportunity to to play a role. You know, it's it's their organisation as much as anything. You know, it's not down to just me. Everybody plays a part. Um, we have a great board of trustees. We've got our volunteers and our members that, you know, we, we make sure that they play a part in how the organisation develops. We run member surveys sort of every year or every other year to make sure that we're on track. And if and when if they shout up and want something, then we try and deliver it. Or if they want to change the way things are being done, then we try and respond to that. It's their organisation. And that's really important, you know, because if people feel like they've got ownership over something, um, and it's you know that they have a say in the way it's run, then their commitment to it is is stronger as well. But for me, I say because the charity is evolving, my role is a, as as the founder, CEO, the CEO title. I've only really started to pick up this year because the board have said you need to because that's your role and you need to be putting yourself out there. Go and talk to Amy, and. <laughs> And here I am, and you know, I'm I'm trying to you know trying to do that, and and it's it's meaning you know I'm, it's taking me away a bit from the day to day routine stuff of the, the work, but I'm making sure that I stay involved with that because that's what we're all about. And if I lose touch with that, then I lose touch with our members and what it why I got involved with it in the first place. And if I lost that, then it wouldn't mean as much. So I'm still doing one-to-ones myself and I still run a group, still helping to run groups and things and make keeping those connections. Yeah, and I think that that's key to to understanding at the sort of ground, grassroots level, what's going on, what people need, as much as, you know, still lead being the leader, but still understanding what, what it is that everyone is is there for. How would people get in contact with you, Steve? What's the best way to reach out and find out more about the charity? Yeah, uh, well, our website is fnddimensions.org, uh, so they can have a look at us there. If they wanted to connect directly with me, my email is very easy. It's just steve at fnddimensions.org. I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously, we're on Facebook as well, although our groups, we we have an external Facebook page, but most of what we do is on closed group pages because our members are obviously quite vulnerable, some, a lot of them. So those groups are all closed. So, yeah, that's that's the best way. And um happy to take emails and respond to people. Any sponsors out there, then please get in touch. Uh, we're always looking for project sponsors. You know, we have a range of things. You know, we, we appreciate it, how difficult it is for people at the moment to be able to support you know charities etc but it doesn't have to be thousands of pounds you know paying for an eventbrite account or something as simple as that can be a big help and because it just enables us to carry on delivering what we do understood absolutely well all those details are in the show notes so anybody can access them there Steve, thank you for sharing what it is you're doing why you're doing it and in essence what the charity is all about and how 
how important it is. And and I and I really do want to sort of just pull on that thread again of where you said that it, it because it's not a a a, a particular the awareness is not there yet. You know, the awareness is not there. And you said it's, you know, 25 years behind other ones. It doesn't pull on the heartstrings. There will be many families where FND is impacting them and their loved ones. So I, I this is why it's so important for you to have this visibility, to share your story, to share what it is that people can do as a result. So thank you for coming on the show and doing that. Really appreciate it. Do you have some final words, please, for the listener? Oh, gosh. Well, thank you, first of all, to you for having me on the show. Um, th this is the logo to look out for. I should uh, <laughs> always get it there. There we are. <laughs> for those who are watching, <laughs> for, those for, are watching. for those who are listening, yes, it's, uh, yeah. it's an F&D dimension. Yeah, it's a head. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, final word. Never think you can't make a difference. Put a bit of time aside to be there for somebody else and just maybe take a step back and listen to what people are saying i think we all have that ability to do it and it can you know sometimes the smallest bit of help might not seem a lot and in the scheme of things across the world you know there's that saying isn't there? there's a, helping one person you know isn't doing a lot you know to change the world but it might make a world of difference to that person and you know if we all did that once a week then I think we'd be in a pretty good place. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.